Hi everyone, this is Serena Sun, Founder and Director of Breaking Taboo. Welcome to our audio video podcast. Uh, this afternoon, I am sitting here with Ellie Weinstein. Ellie is a psychotherapist and we are here today to chat a little bit about the taboo around therapy and mental health, as well as a bunch of different topics ranging from uh, thera how therapists have their own struggles as well, uh, therapy and men and men and mental health, um, and uh, the discrepancy between how many women Ellie gets uh, in his therapy sessions um, as clients versus how many men come to him um, as clients seeking therapy. So definitely interesting subjects there. And then we'll get into a bit about different age groups uh, and therapy that uh, common common issues that different age groups come to you for, uh, for therapy. So those are just a few of the topics that we're going to cover. But again, because of the nature of the conversation, who knows where we're going to go? <laughs> we might tap into anything and everything. It's always an adventure. So Ellie, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. You know, I'm sitting out here in California um, and uh, getting a chance to talk to some uh, like-minded people. What could be bad? Awesome. Where in California are you? Uh, LA right now. Me too. I'm in LA. We're both in LA. Hiding. Awesome. <laughs> I'm based in New York, but I'm hiding here with my in-laws during Corona. Oh, so, okay. Okay, cool. Why not? Not a bad place to be. I work at a clinic that I'm doing teletherapy for, for now. Okay, great. And how has that been? How's your experience with teletherapy been? It depends on the person, I would say. Oh. Um, you know, for kids and children who I'm working with, it's kind of hard to really have that real, let's say, either play therapy or real talk therapy with a child through a video versus oh. a teenager, an adult who's more open to it. Uh, more able to kind of pay attention and concentrate. It, it really depends on the person. It's been an interesting experience for myself as a therapist, uh -huh. relying on my, my skills of reading body language and feeling the room and all that kind of stuff and where I'm sitting and all the body language stuff that can go into it versus now either sometimes doing video or phone call and trying to rely on different senses and different abilities that I didn't know I had to tap into before. Oh, like what type of senses and abilities? Well, I would say really, I would, when it comes to, let's say the phone calls, I really have to focus a lot harder on the tone and vocal notes here and there versus before I can really pay attention to someone's body language and movements um, a lot easier and get a whole picture a lot easier and faster than just hearing their voice uh, and not seeing their expressions and not seeing what they're truly saying or how they're saying it. Um, mm -hmm. So that could be really uh, a different type of modality to really focus in on something that I really haven't had to do as difficult or as hard before. Can I ask you if you're trained in a certain modality or if you give a certain type of therapy? I do lean more towards CBT. Okay. Um, I have uh, a certification in TFCBT, trauma-focused CBT, oh, okay. um, but I'm a big fan of mixing and matching, you know, psychodynamic, strength-based you know, human, uh, human, humanistic approaches, uh, behavioral approaches, and even dialectical behavioral therapy, you know, it's right. good to be uh, change up a little bit with each person. Yeah. Yeah. So that for everyone out there um, who have not really experienced therapy or don't know much about therapy, 
they're always very fascinated or just um, um, sometimes surprised to find out that there's so many different kinds of therapy yeah. techniques out there and that like your typical talk therapy isn't just how it is at all. Like that's not, you know, um, there's a lot of different modalities and a lot of different techniques and, you know, therapists themselves go to training for sometimes for specific, very specific techniques, you know, to yeah. treat certain disorders. So, but I think that also sometimes make it confusing for people, especially people that don't have a background in psychology and choosing a therapist, you know, it's like, yeah. wow, there's so many different kinds. You just listed off like a ton of different kinds and then, and there's more <laughs> and there's more than that yeah, too. There's so many more. Yeah. So how the heck do they begin even um, choosing a therapist? So I would say first, when you want to choose a therapist, I think more it's about the issue that you're struggling with versus the certification that the therapist has. Okay. Hopefully the resources that you're looking for, whether it's through your insurance company, psychology today, or any resources that you find, um, that you're really searching based on how, if you can afford it and um, what the issues you're struggling with and if they're an expert in that. Regarding the therapy style, you know, whether it's CBT, ACT, EFT, all these other therapy models, it makes no difference in the end regarding if the therapist is good at what they do and you connect with them, um, they're going to help you. Mm. Um, so personally, my perspective as a therapist, when someone asks me when they come into my office, what modality do you use? And I tell them my leanings, but in the end, it doesn't mean I'm not open to trying other things and different styles that work better for you. Um, as a therapist, I need to kind of roll with the punches as well to deal with the person in front of me versus putting them into the box that I'm trained in versus being open to kind of move and um, adjust my style to what they actually need yeah yeah that's so interesting yeah because um again you know when we're dealing with uh, matters of the brain and and the emotions and personalities and trauma and your past you know and how people process it it becomes really complicated and it's so different than say diagnosing a computer issue or computer virus or even yeah. diagnosing like a heart valve issue yeah. or you know a broken limb or you know so i know that a lot of times people say you know um uh you you know with pill pill shaming for example uh why would you pill shame someone if you if you go to the doctor and you you know broke your arm and the doctor prescribes you pain medication you wouldn't tell that person don't take it because mm -hmm. like pills are bad you know mm -hmm. or don't put a cast on <laughs> because mm -hmm. you know that's bad but in therapy oftentimes people are like oh you don't need to take medication because it's from your brain or it's just your emotion or it's just your you know Oh, you're just going through something right now. What do you have to say about that? Well, in reality, my viewpoint on the idea of medication, you know, I work in the clinic that's closely works with psychiatrists and nurse practitioners. Um, and I think it's important for a therapist to have those resources at your disposal, whether you're a private therapist and you have colleagues of yours that you trust, or you work in a clinic that there is a service offered, but it's, I always feel that it's up to the person. Right, I will support them whichever decision they have. Of mm. course, I will have a discussion that is actually educated and based in knowledge versus Wikipedia or some Google search they did on a medication or a friend had a bad reaction or my cousin told me this happened and my mother had this and I, but base the decision on facts and education that is knowledgeable and coming from an expert. Um, it doesn't mean that I will push or force someone it just means that I will share my, in, I, my importance. I think that this might be helpful or this could do this for you. This can get you there if you need, but if you don't want to, that is your decision. It's your body. 
Um, and there's no reason if you don't want to take something to take something. But definitely, I know in the clinic we work with every single person who comes through our clinic, um, depending on their diagnosis, has to have an assessment by the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So once you have an assessment by the psychiatrist, that's up to you if you want to continue with that medication that they might be suggesting, or they evaluate, evaluated you and you don't need medication. Great. Mm -hmm. um, either way is good. It's just about you being as educated as you possibly can on the topic. Yeah. And what's the difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist for all those who don't know? Oh, wonderful question. It's actually funny. I actually have a psychiatrist that I work with whose last name is Weinstein. And it gets very confusing. We get emails, we get phone calls. Oh, I'm looking for Dr. Weinstein. Not me. I'm just Mr. Weinstein. So <laughs> as a psychiatrist, the difference is psychiatrist went to medical school that was trained in a specialty of psychiatry. Um, they can prescribe medication. They can... Uh, sign off on, they can be medical directors of clinics and sign off on treatment plans and all those uh, things that are super important for billing and insurance and for clinics to run the, well they, the way they can. Me as a therapist, I can diagnose, um, but I cannot push or prescribe medication. Mm -hmm. There's no way I'm allowed to do that by any means. My job is to be the person who you come to, uh, to talk, to work through, and to deal with the issues that you're struggling with and be kind of maybe an in-between to the psych team who might not sit with you for 30, 45 minutes to an hour, but sit with you for 15 to 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, okay, medication works, great. Let's continue going. How are you feeling? Now it's all your problems, the, the therapist. And that's where I come in, which I find wonderful. Um, and uh, it's a great balance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some psychiatrists also do therapy, but psychiatry and therapy are two different things. And a lot of psychiatrists don't do therapy at all. Uh, just to, you know, further educate people out there. But uh, yeah, a lot of times psychiatrists, um, all they really do is prescribe medication. And that's what they went to med school for is to see how different drugs affect your brain and your physiology. And, you know, they really get into the neurology of all that stuff. And then therapists are more trained in actual modalities of how to help alleviate certain symptoms that you're going through or certain, you know, they're the ones often diagnosing you mm -hmm. with a certain uh, diagnosis. And um, sometimes, for example, let's say they diagnose you with bipolar, uh, they would then, and then they would refer you to a psychiatrist where you would get the prescription drugs from, but they're two totally different things a lot of the times. Now, again, some psychiatrists do both, but you many times there are two totally different things. And then um, you do your check-ins with a psychiatrist to see how mm -hmm. the drugs are making you feel. Or if you tell your therapist that, you know, the drugs aren't really working or something, they'll probably give you another appointment to the psychiatrist mm -hmm. and you'll try a different drug. But um, yeah, so that's typically how it goes, um, uh, the difference between therapy and psychiatry. And then also, you know, with drugs and pill shaming and the stigma and the taboo around all of that. Um, yeah, I love what you said, Ellie, about how you never force your uh, patients to take anything or do anything they don't want to do. I think that's a very healthy approach. I think one of the taboos that therapists also struggle with is like people think, well, first of all, they think that they're there to shrink their brains because they're called shrinks, you know? So that's one thing. Um, and then the other taboo- Never heard that one. I never heard that one. <laughs> yeah. And then, and oh, I used to get, even back when I was studying psychology, people used to, it was so weird. I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, my degree is psychology. And they would say, oh, are you psychic? Do you know, can you read my mind right now? And I'm like, psychology nope. is not psychic, you know? So that's another common misconception. Like therapists are not there to read your 
minds. In fact, they won't know unless you tell them, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other thing is, yeah, people often think if you go to therapy, they're going to make you do things, you know, like all sorts of things that you don't want to do. So it's pretty refreshing, Ellie, to hear you say like, no, you never make, never make them really do anything. I mean, how can you anyway, right? Well, yeah. And, and I have clients of mine who really would benefit from medication mm-hmm. and they're very against it for whatever reason, whether it's a, a religious thing, a cultural thing, a background thing, a personal decision. Um, I can't force them to do something they don't want to do. Yeah. I might talk about it and bring it up once in a while. And, and you know, this past weekend, I was talking to someone uh, and I, they said, oh, by the way, I'm a therapist. Um, and they said, oh, are you going to tell me my deepest, darkest secrets? And I said, I just met you and that's not my goal anyways as a therapist, but um, if you want to talk to me, I'm more than happy to listen, but I'm not going to start making you cry on purpose. It's not my goal. (laughs) Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. How does that make you feel? You know, classic jokes, but what can I do? Yeah. Yeah, It's so interesting how like people are almost like, um, they almost feel like therapists have this huge overwhelming power or something, you know, to like somehow get into your mind and, and make you do things or reveal things about yourself that you don't want to reveal. I mean, the point granted, the point is to give you more insight about yourself, (laughs) but that's like, you have the handle on that, you know, it's, uh, yeah. And that's only based on the things that you share. Right. If you tell me like 15 stories and I notice a trend or a theme, I'm going to point it out. But if you didn't tell me those stories, I wouldn't have known it. Yes. I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't be able to say, hmm, the way you're looking today must mean you have daddy issues. Like, no, like, I don't know that stuff. Like, I'm not, I'm not a, I can't know that thing. Right, right. Yeah, you're not psychic. Exactly. You're not I wish psychic. I was sometimes. I wish I was. Make my yeah. job a lot easier. Well, okay. So, okay. Um, what do, uh, let's talk about the descriptions, discrepancy, excuse me, um, that I mentioned earlier uh, between like, you know, the amount of women that come to you and the amount of men that come to you for therapy. What do you notice with that? So I would even just say, let's take it back to a therapist perspective. Sure. I'm just therapists. In the practice that I work at, at the highest amount of clinicians that we have, we were at our si- around 60 something. Mm-hmm. And I would say there were eight males. Um, I went to Fordham University and my class percentage, I think was maybe 10 to 12% of the class, which was 400, 500 people of grad school was male. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think the, 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 the the perception of a therapist is a more female driven or female run profession because there's this thought process that, uh, and culturally that women are more empathetic and understanding and listeners and more in touch to their emotions, which is true for the most part, you know, it's not wrong, but it doesn't mean that men cannot be as well. So it's funny for me as a male therapist to sit there amongst my practice. And now some of them have left and I'm like the one or two left of male therapists in the practice. Wow. But on top of that, I think when it comes to just statistically that I see, I see about 40 something people every, in a matter of two weeks, uh, depending on the every other week and week and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. mostly women. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I definitely have noticed that as well is that more women tend to study psychology. Um, there's definitely, I had more female classmates as well. Uh, but I didn't know it was that much. I didn't know that it was that I guess, big. It depends on the place. It depends on the place. But I also know that when it comes to, let's say therapy as well, I think women are driven for more growth and self-help mindsets mm-hmm. to get help to, I need to work on this. I need to fix this. I need to try to work on that. I need to be better at this. I need better at that which is wonderful and great that women 
have a drive to be better, to do better, to, to just try to fix or work on themselves. Mm -hmm. While men I've seen are more hesitant to get into that zone as it might be a weakness or a sense of, no, I need to work through it myself and figure it out on my own versus trying to get someone else's perspective. I know the men that I work with, I would say about the three out of nine that mm -hmm. I have, I can't think of the exact numbers. Their wife has either pushed them or a, a brother has pushed them or a mother has pushed them. And even the kids I work with, the teenage boys that I work with, it's a parent that said, you need help. It wasn't like mm -hmm. they went to their parents that I'm really struggling. I don't know what to do. Um, so just interesting. Mm, and why do you think that is? I just think it's a uh, cultural societal idea of what, how men process emotions and feelings and how they express them versus the uh, innate um, idea of women working and mm -hmm. fighting for themselves mm -hmm. to be the best they can be um, whenever, whatever Yay, that may, go may women. mean. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> you know, even if you look on social media, there are about 10 times or 15 times more women-driven social media efforts about mental health and uh, focus on growth and coaching and success and motivation compared to men. Um, cause for men, it's more about the fitness, the business and all that stuff that is important, mm -hmm. but there also needs to be a space for growth and motivation and help as well. So yeah. just interesting to see the trends that go on in society. I would definitely say that that is also the case with the nonprofit world as well. The nonprofit world is very strongly female driven and most, um, people that work in nonprofits are female. There are a ton more females than men. And I have always attributed that to also women, you know, having less pressure on them to be all about money and just, they're supposed exactly. to be more nurturing and more and caring giving, and caring, giving. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. um, which is a wonderful thing and a wonderful trait. It's not a bad thing or a shame. <laughs> Something to be ashamed of. It's just an interesting point to see when you're a therapist, you know, uh, who you get in your office and when they come. Well, there's pros and cons to both, of course, right? Because again, now yeah. we're talking about societal norms and it's like uh, women could definitely use more financial education. <laughs> I think I myself could, you know, we could, we could come out of our shell a bit more and be more, um, uh, business-like, you know, without yeah. having, um, you know, a taboo around us, like, you know, being like, bitchy or mean or you know or masculine or, or, like yeah. yeah unfortunately and then men of course you know um research definitely shows that women tend to outlive men because women are more social and we talk more about our feelings and we do tend to get more help you know whether that's medical or emotional so uh, yep. you know men could uh, definitely use more of that as well because it's literally is linked to longevity, you know, yeah, uh, mental health is linked to physical health. Absolutely. Um, and I also, but you know, I, I find it really interesting um, in movies though, in the media, I have noticed, I have noticed a lot of male therapists in media. Yes. Yeah. But that is actually contradictory from, you know, reality but I guess I the trends, of, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but I can think of a lot of TV shows I've seen uh, where the therapist is male. Um, also, when you were talking about men are supposed to be, I mean, women are supposed to be, you know, um, fixing, not just fixing problems, but, you know, like helping or, you know, doing some of these more uh, nurturing tasks. I, the one thing that popped into my head was, well, I feel like most doctors, even nowadays, are male, right? So why, <laughs> why do you think that is? Why are most doctors no male, most idea. therapists I, female? 
I don't know. You know, it's this interesting thing. I think when it comes to, let's say, the social, the media, and the TV pushing those things of men, it could be the idea of. of I don't agree with this a hundred percent. The idea of power and strength, mm-hmm. you know, and being like the professional and the male is the professional. When in reality, a woman can be just as professional as right. men can, and sometimes even more professional, depending on the setting and the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I have no idea why it would be that way or the trends, but I think that there was a time where a lot of these professions, specifically doctors and psychiatrists, were more male-driven and mm-hmm. more because they had more access and more privilege to those things that women just did not have the ability to do or the confidence or mm-hmm. the ceiling being broken for that to be an open opportunity as yeah. much as it is today. It's like women are nurses and men are doctors. Yeah. <laughs> it's a typical, yeah. And I know plenty of doctors who are women and plenty of nurses that are men. Exactly. Is that Well, it's changing now, you know, yes, um, it is. but yeah. Okay. So in, in speaking about men's mental health, and, uh, you know, um, the different struggles that men go through and also the taboo mm-hmm. around that. I know that you over the phone, you were telling me that you had some of your own struggles, right, um, that you go through and that, you know, so one of the things that we want to do, obviously, with with this show is um, not only break the taboo, but also humanize everyone, including therapists, mm-hmm. including therapists. So, Ellie, let's humanize you. Okay. So (laughs) let's get into it. Yeah. Let's get into it. So, um, yeah, of course you're a therapist and you help other people, but that doesn't mean that you yourself don't need help. And that doesn't mean yourself don't go through stuff. Right. So what are some of the things that you go through? You know, I'm a parent. I go through rough days. Uh, my baby's teething right now and I am so tired and not my hundred percent self, but I'm human and that's normal. And when it comes down to, let's say, I struggle with ADHD and have always had ADHD, um, that means it affects my my mood, my emotional regulation. Sometimes it affects my focus and my ability to do my job. Of course, I always get my job. I do my job well and always do it as best as I can. It doesn't mean that I can't perform and, and be a therapist. It just means that I actually tell my clients when I first start with them that if they see me fidgeting in my chair, or they see me twirling my pen or playing with my pen, it does not mean that I'm not paying attention or that I'm not interested or that they are boring. It is that I struggle with ADHD. And sometimes this is my way of taking my attention off of my ADHD to something tangible like a pen um, and that I could actually focus on them. And some people actually appreciate that, that I'm being real with them. You know, I've had my bouts of anxiety throughout my life. Um, I have a chronic illness, which causes health issues, right? Things happen to everyone. And I think it's interesting, you know, because I know we discussed this, the idea of therapists having it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not to jump ahead to another question, no. but just to bring it into, you know, no one ever looks at a doctor who gets sick and goes, oh, you're a doctor. How do you have a cold? Like no <laughs> one does that because it's human. People get colds, people get cancer, people get sick, people, people die, people live. Uh-huh. And the same thing goes for therapists. We're human. Right. Um, therapists go into being a therapist for many reasons whether it's because they had their own issues and they want to work with people with that similar issue or they really want to help people and they're just really good-hearted and they really are good with people but no matter what the reason is whoever's sitting across from you is human whether it's the client or the therapist and the idea that that is a connector that is something special between the two of you that you're it's not just an alien or a robot sitting there um giving you therapy or talking to you, but someone who's actually a person who has a heart and a mind who goes through their own things. 
yeah, who goes through their own things, has good days, bad days, ugly days, and beautiful days, mm-hmm. you know, and that's wonderful. And that's great. Something to embrace mm-hmm. as therapists. And mm-hmm. it should not be an expectation that, oh, you have anxiety. Oh, you have ADHD. Like, oh, I can't work with you. You don't have your stuff together. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? No offense. Neither do you. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite lines uh, in Alice in Wonderland, uh, one of my favorite books um, is the Cheshire Cat. Uh-huh. And he sits there when Alice in Wonderland finally gets into the forest and he says, welcome, we're all crazy here. Right, right. Like we all have something. Right. We all have something that makes us human. Well, and, and that, you know, going along with that though, like on the other extreme end, uh, there's a lot of people, I hear this all the time, people say, oh, therapists are the most fucked up. Yeah. They say they're the most fucked up. I don't agree with up. that. You don't agree with that, right? Uh, well, I, don't I mean, know. I don't I agree with that, that either. <laughs> just no, I think why that I don't, I, <laughs> but. I just think that the idea that people who are in therapy, who are therapists must be wounded animals for them to be a therapist. They must have gone through the worst of worsts and the lowest of the lows to be a therapist and to help and want to help people and give love and care to someone. That's not true. You know, doesn't mean that it's not, doesn't mean that aren't people like that who have become therapists. It doesn't mean that there are people who have gone through a lot of dark places and are therapists. It just doesn't mean that just because you're a therapist, you're messed up. Mm -hmm. And the idea of of what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, they're so messed up. Like I said, everyone has their issues. That's what makes it so beautiful to be human, mm-hmm. right? And one day I might have my stuff more together than you do. And one day you have your stuff more together than me. But the thing of the therapist is that I am specifically trained and I have a, a theoretical models and things that I have gleaned from learning and growing and reading and studying mm-hmm. that gives me an objective opinion to help you. The focus mm-hmm. is you, not the therapist. And hopefully... And I'm speaking to all the therapists out there. Hopefully therapists aren't sharing that much to their clients that they know every dark, deep secret that, cause that's not what it's there for. It's not for you to have therapy. It's for the client to have therapy. Mm-hmm. So for it to be an understanding that you're both human, but at the same time does not mean that just because someone might be a therapist does not mean that they are just off the wall out of this world. Something's totally messed up with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes people also think, um, even with therapists or life coaches, they're like, if if they realize that you have gone through things, or you do go through things, or you have ADHD or something, then they'll be like, why should I go to you if you don't have your shit together, right? Like, why? I'm trying to get my own stuff together. But like, you know, I need someone that has their stuff together in order to teach me how to get their stuff together. But if you don't have your stuff together, why should I go to you? Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a book that recently came out this year that exploded on the, you know, this top seller charts, Lori Gottlieb's book on uh, maybe you should talk to someone, right? And in that yeah. book, you know, now Lori Gottlieb, even though she's been a therapist for a while, has exploded in the world of therapy and is doing such great things. You know, if you watch her on social media and all the things she's doing is wonderful. Mm-hmm. But one of the things she truly shows is that she's a great therapist and she doesn't have her stuff together. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. So I have not read this book. So what does she, it's how a, does she show that? Basically like, it's a memoir. It's a memoir oh, of her me. talking about her as a therapist and her inner thoughts about mm-hmm. the clients that she has sometimes and what she does with them. And even her experience going through a separation um, mm-hmm. and loss of a relationship that was lasting for a while out of nowhere and her experience going to therapy um, ah. as a therapist and shedding light on 
the truth about what it means to be human and a therapist at the same time, which mm-hmm. I'm sure not to belittle Lori Gottlieb's work. I'm sure all therapists out there could write a book like that and do something like that. But right. she puts it in such a way that sheds light on the, the normalizing and human side of a therapist, which I think is super important yeah. because we are human and that's totally okay. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. It's a must Love read. It. It's a great read. Okay. I'm I... not sponsored by Lori, but Lori, if you're listening, <laughs> you're welcome. I will definitely put that on my list of uh, <laughs> almost 40 audiobooks. <laughs> that I have right? to Too many. Reading. I'm saying even if you look at the famous you know, uh, men are from Mars and women are from Venus book right. on relationships. That's He's divorced, mm. right? And we still trust him. He was like the expert on relationships. Why? Because he had experiences and training that made him an expert, whether his life fell apart or his relationships weren't the best, right. but he has still something to offer as an expert on relationships. And that's okay. Right, right. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Um, I actually want to speak to uh, backtrack. You mentioned that you had ADHD, which I wasn't aware yeah. of. And then you said that, you know, one of your coping mechanisms is holding the pen and whatever. So, you know, there's a lot of people out there with ADHD. How does that yeah. help you cope? I mean, sounds like a great tool. Yeah, I would say that I was, to be honest and transparent, which I love to be, I was oh. on medication till I was 18, 19. Oh, okay. um, you know, Adderall, Adderall, Ritalin, okay. Vyvanse, Concerta, all the common ones, depending on my oh, life and what like, was working for me. Sounds like you've been through a lot of medication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying this, trying that, mixing and matching and seeing. And back when I was a kid, the psychiatrist actually sat with me for 30, 45 minutes and did therapy with me. It was oh. a two for one, which is not a thing as much anymore. I think the billing and insurance was different back then. But um, through my life, I've learned how to kind of work ADHD into my life as a more of a embracing a power mm-hmm. versus it looking as a, as a terrible um, life sentence that I can't deal with. And I'm not trying to belittle other people's ADHD, but I have learned my ability to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And the way that I handle it is by finding little quirks. So I tap a lot. Um, I play with pens or have to touch something in my hand. Um, mm-hmm. I have a little wristband that I have that I, I play with. Mm-hmm. under the table which no one sees just as a my way of pulling my attention um to something uh, stimulating that mm-hmm. will then help me refocus and i can actually pay attention while i'm doing that um it's something that i've learned to use okay. um, sometimes it doesn't work sometimes my brain is scattered and i do 12 things at once and uh have to write things down to make lists that i make mm-hmm. sure everything gets done mm-hmm. um and some days are better than others you know mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Can I ask you, are you currently on medication? I have not been on medication since I was in college. Wow. I don't know what made me stop, but one day I realized like I don't really need like I felt that I didn't need it anymore. And I and I I had it down for myself to deal with it in a way. And there are moments where I think to myself, maybe I should get back on it. Uh, Mm -hmm. maybe it would help with this or that, whatever it could be. Um, but for the most part, I'm pretty stable and good. You know, ADHD as a child looks very different as ADHD as an adult. Oh, okay. When you have to be in school and sit in a chair and, you know, uh, fit fit into other people's rules and regulations that you need to live. But once you become an adult, you know, you can take a break, take a step back, you know, get your energy out, whether it's walking, working out, whatever it is, you know. As an adult, though, you often still have to sit in an office. Too. Very, very true. <laughs> or a cubicle very, very true. or very, your very therapist's true. office. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't just in the middle of my session go, sorry, I need a five minute break. You know, right. Right. <laughs> but it's it really is about 
that I now have more autonomy over myself and more control after years of figuring it out. Um, mm. And like I said, doesn't mean it's a perfect equation, but it works for me. Mm. So it sounds like you're saying that children with ADHD just uh, manifests um, in ways that are a bit more like hyperactive physical activity is what you're saying? Well, there, there are two sides of ADHD. There's hyperactivity and then there's um, lack of a, lack of focus. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's both. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I know for me, just to give a plug for the people that I work with with ADHD, um, I have a lot of parents who like throw their children at me and say like, fix him, fix him, fix her, fix her. <laughs> Please fix them, fix them. And I just want to put a little thing out there that it's not about fixing. It's more about helping them learn the powers and pros and cons of their ADHD to help them find out who they are and how to deal with it. Okay. Because there's no like fixing a problem, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's anxiety or depression, anxiety will always be there. It might come up 10 years from now, six months from now, two weeks from now, or never, but it could come back. It could sneak up on you. Mm-hmm. But the therapy is there to help you learn the tools to process it deal with it. And then if it does come, how do we handle it then? And that's the same thing for ADHD. You know, when people say fix my child or fix my husband or fix my wife. Um, it's really not about fixing. It's about helping them through the process right. and getting through the struggle. Right. That's again, another common thing of, uh, you know, uh, therapists or taboo around therapy or life coaching or seeking out help like this is like, people think, oh, I have to go because I need fixing. And then it like really damages their self-esteem or their ego. Or, yeah. And they're like, I don't need fixing. Like I often hear that even in some of my self-development courses that really could help anyone and everyone. I always say everyone could use a bit of therapy. Everyone could use a bit yeah. of life coaching. Everyone yeah. could use courses like this, but oftentimes when I, you know, um, uh, bring my friends to one of these or something like, you know, I have to be like, it doesn't mean you need fixing, but that's what they think in their head. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I don't need this because I don't need fixing or, you and know, also then or also does this mean I'm really damaged? Yeah. Does yeah. this mean I'm really damaged if I like sign up for this because that no. means I need to fix myself or whatever? I mean, you know, so yeah, it's not that word is again, it makes people sound like robots. True. And I think the idea that if you're expecting to be fixed, um, you're going to fail. Like you're already setting yourself up for failure because there is no fixing. It's how to deal with the struggle or issue that's at your front door right now, Mm -hmm. right? It's what's coming at you right now. Let me see if I can deal with it. Um, And learning those tools and tricks from an objective person who all they care about is yourself and your well-being and your wellness that's what therapy is about. It doesn't mean that you're broken or damaged or hurt. And it doesn't mean that you're not. It just means that you don't have to go to therapy if you're broken. You can be a quote unquote normal, no trauma, no nothing in your life that has caused you to be the way you are. Just you need help processing the life that you live because it's stressful and it's hard because life Mm -hmm. is difficult. Mm -hmm. So that's really, I think, the key of therapy. And it doesn't mean that people who aren't broken don't come to therapy but it does. It also means that people who aren't broken come to therapy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that, I would have to say that I think it's impossible to live through life without any trauma. Like everyone's got uh, some trauma. hundred <laughs> percent agree with you. I I'm glad you said that. I don't say that very often, but I think everyone has some type of trauma, oh, yeah. maybe not in the sense of like the, the technical, like 9-11 war explosions, but trauma manifests in many different ways right. in many different circles. And it can hurt people in all different factors, uh, no matter where you're from and where you're at. So I do agree with you 100%, which is why I got trained in trauma-focused therapy, because I think everyone has something. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And also it just depends on the way people process it too, because something that's really small, you know, to one person could be really big and traumatic to the other. So it all depends. Um, And it depends on, you know, what happened during that time and how old you were and what your thought process was. But yeah, yeah, I have definitely learned in my years of self-development that every single person has a whole bunch of life stories you know, that make up your life. And those stories are yeah. things that are like, you know, this happened to me. And now this is the person I am. It's just, that's just how we are as human beings. So that's what 100%. therapy, yeah, therapy looks at that as well, you know. So in talking about uh, ADHD and children with ADHD in different age groups, um, what are some of the other common things that you see, the common uh, symptoms that you see uh, with people with different age groups? Um, and I know that in speaking over the phone, I remember that you said your favorite age group were teenagers, right? And why is that? So I love working with, I would say, the 13 to 30 young adult, teenage, tween year, whatever that's called. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that as a therapist and as someone who is at that age, it's a very key time of self-development and and self-image building and positivity and and growth. It is so iconic and so fast paced. You go from nothing to something, puberty, this, that, feelings, sexual orientation, attraction, growth, high school, college. It's so crazy and so intense. So for me as a therapist, that like makes me so excited to be there for that person, to give them an objective perspective, to help them through that process, to help kind of mold and role model a healthier emotional thought feeling process that can be really beneficial in the long run. And it doesn't mean that I don't like working with adults. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I don't like working with people older than 30. I work with plenty of people who are older than 30 and I enjoy it greatly. Mm-hmm. Is that for me, like my ideal, if I could pick my ideal client and just go you, you, and you, and you, it would be that age group because it's just so exciting for me to be there at that stage for someone to help them hold their hand uh, and go through that with them uh, as a guide, a healthy guide and, um, positive um, role model in that way. Very cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, um, let's, do you mind if we just go up the line with like different age groups? Go and for what it. You, okay, cool. Okay, all right. So um, different age groups and common issues that you see as a therapist between these, within these age groups. So let's start with, um, do you work with anyone, first of all, younger than eight or no? No. Okay, cool. So let's skip that. Let's go to eight to 13 of kids. Uh, what do you typically notice that's, yeah, eight to 13? Um, I would say a lot of parenting issues, um, how parents are treating them or, or parenting them and what that means for them and how it deals with their stress. I would say a lot of the issues that I handle with eight to 13 is anxiety, uh, depressive symptoms and ADHD um, and really helping build the foundation of healthy emotions and in being in touch with their emotions and what it means to think and be deep and to understand and to have a look outlook on life. And uh, that's truly a lot of the stuff that goes into eight to 13. Of course, I've dealt with kids who are maybe verging on um, um, like um, um, borderline personality disorders. Um, I've seen a few of those. I've worked with kids who have OCD tendencies or OCD when it comes to their thought process. I've worked with kids who have 
hallucinations that lead to seizures, um, all everything. But I would say the most common is self-esteem, anxiety, and depressive symptoms that have to do with that beginning stages of becoming a person, like really having thoughts and, and feelings as their own. Oh, wow. Interesting. Eight to eight, 13, starting to have thoughts and feelings as their own. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then what about 13 to 20 year olds? Just, I would say there's the, the main tagline is fear. It's like oh, the wow. unknown, the unknown of like what their life is happening. Where am I going to go to college? What am I going to do now? Does this boy like me? Does this girl like me? My parents are so annoying. All these kind of emotions that are going on, but the changes are so drastic and so intense that I definitely see a lot of suicidal ideations. Mm -hmm. um, I would say a lot of anxiety and depression mm -hmm. um, and a lot of body image and self-image issues, mm -hmm. self-esteem as well. And um, some uh, mood disorders, but um, it's a... Uh, I would say it's hard to kind of put a basis of like, here's the exact things because you can have anyone from anyone. Right, you know, right. I have a 35 year old things. I work with, but the common things are really yeah. anxiety and depression and self-esteem, self-image, uh, and definitely navigating friendships, interpersonal relationships and family and how to find their role in the whole of their life. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just find it fascinating that is so, you know, so much of this is also developed or, you know, it can become a problem at these certain mm -hmm. stages in life, mm -hmm. you know, and then you carry them with you for the rest of your yeah. life until the day yeah. that you, or, you know, seek therapy. So yeah, interesting. Um, what about ages 20 to 30 young adults? Young adults is a lot of anxiety. Okay. Um, just with post-college working, um, finances, becoming an adult, whatever that truly means um, at whatever age. And I think that that's the start, honestly, when statistics show when schizophrenia and um, bipolar are like starting to kind of percolate and come out, mm -hmm. the symptoms are starting to show. So I do see that as well um, mm -hmm. in the practice that I work at. Um, definitely have a handful of people with, with bipolar and mood disorders and personality disorders, which are sometimes harder to diagnose to work with, but they are very, very common. Hmm, interesting. I mean, I'd imagine, you know, because um, even you talking, I'm thinking about me and my past and I'm like, what was I like, you know, during that time? And I can just relate like in the 20 to 30 year, like time frame is a, a lot of pressure. So much as really like pressure of being an adult and pressure of, you know, uh, owning your life and these humongous decisions with yeah. how is your, the rest of your life going to pan out forever. Right? Like forever. right now, the pressure is so high. Like if I don't pick it right, my life right. is screwed. Right. I don't get married and don't have kids and all these pressures of society as a 20 year old. Right. Yeah. It's too much. It's a lot. Yeah. So that honestly is where a lot of the anxiety and, and, and depressive symptoms come out yeah. um, for a lot of people. Yeah. And I'm also thinking like at 13 to 20 teenagers and everything you were saying. Yeah. Anxiety too. And the fear. I love what you said about the fear. It's like, yeah, there's so much uncertainty. It is. <laughs> I do remember like being really. I would not want to go back to being a teenager. Again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember being like really shy about certain things and or like just really nervous about stuff um, when yeah. I was a teenager. Definitely remember that. Eight to 13. I don't really remember that well. I feel like I was generally pretty happy, <laughs> but maybe it was a most, while ago. Most like... kids are, but there are a lot who are not. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. What about 30 to 40 year olds? Like adult adults? I would say identity. Mm. 
the idea of, okay, my kids might be a little older. I might be just getting married, uh, depending on what culture and ethnicity and religion you are um, associated with or connect to. Um, the idea of you getting into kind of your stride of your career and hitting like a plateau of this is now what I'm doing um, is the idea of individuality and identity of like finding yourself um, truly. I know I really sound like Eric Erickson over here, but that's truly what I believe of uh, like paying attention to my, what I, who I work with. It is very common and very true that, that kind of internal reflection of, am I doing the right things? Who am I? What do I want to be? Where do I want to go? Uh, kind of thought process. Huh, interesting. Interesting. I mean, uh, around that period um, of, of life, it, it almost seems like, you know, you're either walking the right path or you're not. And you <laughs> and to change like quickly. Huge, right, right. <laughs> and that's like a huge decision is, yeah, you're, it's pretty much right there midway. Right. So, okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about, um, ages 50 and up, um, which middle age, right. Which is funny. Cause I used to always think that middle age was middle age, like thirties. And it wasn't until later on in life that I realized mid, mid, mid uh, middle age and like a midlife crisis actually met around your fifties. Yeah. But yeah. What do you typically see with that age group? I would say a lot of looking back and self-reflection and regret of like decisions and thought processes of should have, could have, would have kind of mentality causing them angst and, and, and depression um, of looking back and saying, if I only did this, if I only married that person, if my kids only turned out this way, you know, if that only happened in my family, if my job would have worked out that way, then maybe X, Y, and Z. And a lot of kind of pulling them out of that kind of uh, spiral of, of depression and anxiety that, could, uh, that are created by those negative thought processes. Wow, so regrets. Regret seems to be, yeah. So what, what is your, um, what do you typically, like how do you treat that? Or uh, if you have advice for people that are experiencing that in their 50s? First go say? to someone, if you need help, talk to someone, right? That's mm -hmm. the first thing, right? Therapy. But mm -hmm. I would say is that it's really, I think for me about giving them a place to listen because sometimes they don't get that in their relationships or their friendships or they're afraid to talk it out and be honest about it. But first it's really about giving them that space to express mm -hmm. that to someone, to acknowledge the fact that they're not maybe the happiest that they thought they were or mm -hmm. what truly is going on in their head. And then it's really about looking at their successes, where they have come. Like, look at that timeline, what we just did just now. When you were 30, when you were 30, did you think you would be this place at 50? What did you accomplish in the past 20 years? 20 years is a huge amount of time, Yeah. right? The amount of time that you did from 10 to 30 is different than you're gonna do from 30 to 50. That's a drastic difference. So kind of really getting into the nitty gritty of what they did accomplish and looking at the positives. And there's always going to be negative. There's always going to be terrible things that happen in people's lives. There's always going to be things, disasters in the world and politics in the world and religions in the world and wars and this thing and the other thing that are really sad to be around. Mm -hmm. But it's about our perspective on what we have done through that process to make our perspective more positive one. Now, I don't think that if all of a sudden you change your thinking that magically your life will be better. I just think that it helps you get a lens, a better lens on your life to help give you a perspective that then you can then take action on, mm. be more positive and more happy in a fulfilling way. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Okay, cool. Cool. Good advice. Okay. Um, finally, what about older seniors? Um, for example, you said that you have a 73-year-old. <laughs> 
I have a few. The biggest thing that I've seen is, is loneliness. Is, is, it's a really, it actually for me, a really hard thing to watch as a therapist. It's actually one of the clientele that I struggle with um, a lot. It just reminds me too much of my grandparents and just mm. that idea of being older and, and closer to the end of your life and what that truly means. But I think a lot of it is making sure that your family is doing what you would like them to be. Um, what do you mean? And hoping to... I like um, whether it means a grandmother or grandfather, hoping that their family passes on the legacy that they've tried to create, whether it's a uh, cultural or religious legacy, whether it's family traditions. I think a lot of loneliness happens when you've lost a lot of your friends around you, your support groups, and you're kind of left by yourself and you're lonesome uh, and trying to grasp or deal with the, the lack of your health kind of declining sometimes and your mind declining and your mind, body, and spirit coming together and really like losing your sense of self of what it used to be versus what is reality. And I think that's very hard for, for me as a therapist and a person to watch in the room uh, is not the easiest um, uh, way to deal with someone. It's a, a little bit difficult if I'm gonna be honest for me as a therapist. So what, uh, uh, what, what would be some of the um, advice or the ways that you would treat that? Uh, and for people that might be listening who are of that uh, age. Spend time with them. You know, therapy, I learned this a very interesting way. I used to be an intern at a psych hospital. Um, and I learned very fast that therapy does not mean that you have to have the big talks and the intense conversations and the realness or have the beautiful office with the wonderful chairs, but really just to be there with someone mm -hmm. and be there for them. I think at that age, that's what a therapist role is, is to be there with them, mm -hmm. connect with them, be friendly with them, show them love and support and care like they would want uh, and not look down upon them or treat them any differently just because they're older or are not the same as you or have been, you know, years earlier, they had experiences that you are having now, but kind of be that person in their life so they don't feel as lonely. That's really what the therapy for me is about. It doesn't look like classic therapy. It doesn't look like CBT, DBT, or any other of the terms we use in the beginning, but that is a therapeutic process to be there with the person and and help them out through the loneliness as to be a friend, so to speak, mm. and to be uh, someone to be there with them through their life. So be what they need, because right then yeah. they need, they need more Which by the way applies to, what applies to everyone, right? Be right. what they, what, be what they need. But at this time it's be companionship. Right. That's the, the terminology versus I, like the classic therapist, you know? Yeah. Can I ask you like, what would you say to yourself? Like in the fact that you're treating all of these, right? Um, uh, uh, clients and you see this obviously earlier on you're not 73 so what would you tell yourself um, your future 73 year old self in this position well one make sure you have a lot of friends um, so you have a lot of supports and real supports um, so that no matter where you go you have supports keep in touch with friends and family but at the same time make the most of your life that you have now because at one point the life that you wanted or was is going to be gone so to do the best you can to enjoy your life so you have something positive to look back on and memories to drive you further in your in your life to be more healthy and positive and successful and keep keep uh what's i would say keep your health up right work on your body and your health because that's what truly lasts so that you know my parents are in their late 60s early 70s and and they're in great shape but some 70s are old 70s and some 70s are young 70s you know mm -hmm. uh, my my grandmother's 93 i would never know Mm -hmm. You know, so that's a, you know, a wonderful thing to be able to take care of your body so that your mind and spirit have somewhere to be. 
um, mm-hmm. I think is really important. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned um, to have lots of friends, right? But I find that that's a little Supports. bit hard, Supports. right? Supports. Yeah. But a lot of times people, especially when they get married and they have kids and they start losing a lot of these friendships or it's just not that important. They don't even have time. I, there's so many people. I was just talking to a friend about this recently, but there's so many people out there who once they start a family, it's like one or the other. They either have yeah. a friend, family or they have a friendship. So yeah in your therapy practice like do you feel that it's important then for people to actively try make an effort to maintain friendships outside of their family yeah instead of having like and it's really how you define friendship i'm talking about real supports not facebook friends or instagram followers i'm talking about real friends mm-hmm. that actually matter and are are important for you and and give you a sense of love and care but even if it means focusing on four of them mm-hmm. pick four instead of zero Mm -hmm. you can focus on four people other than yourself Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you have to talk to them every day it doesn't mean you have to be with them every week Mm -hmm. it means you reach out to them once a month make a reminder in your phone every friday the end of the month call these four people shoot a text a voice note the technology nowadays it's so simple and i'm not the best at this i'm not you know but i do my best because it's important to try my hardest but um it is something that i think is truly important for long life to have those friends and have that support other than your your spouse or your children or your parents. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. I just want to go back because we were talking about the advice, right, for 73 or seniors, sorry, not just mm-hmm. the age of 73, but just seniors. <laughs> and then we were Only talking about, right, yeah. And then we were talking about um, uh, uh, midlife, right? Um, so mm-hmm. let's go back to being an adult adult, okay? So what is some advice that you could give to people who might be experiencing those common issues um, in 30 to 40s? So I'd say, one, be patient and take care of yourself. The first thing really is that, you know, you're trying, try your best. Life is not perfect. It will never be perfect. Um, But to really kind of make your expectations realistic, right? If it means having that mansion and you can actually get that, great. You're probably not. And that's okay. So it's about having expectations that don't hurt your soul and don't hurt you so much. Oh, I didn't get that promotion. I don't make $3 million and I only make, you know, this amount, right? Make it more realistic to a place that you can actually attain those goals and something that is actually tangible so that you can actually have a fulfilling life. And also I would say, love yourself more and be kind to yourself more because you're the only person that you have in your life. That's, that's you, right? You're the only person that can truly take care of yourself as much as you can. So give yourself more love, give yourself more kindness um, because you are trying to do the best you can in this crazy world. Sounds like less pressure and more love. <laughs> yeah, love that tagline. We should um, make t-shirts. <laughs> what about 20 to 30? Sound, I mean, be the same? Be, oh, patient. be patient, be patient. You are just starting. Huh. You're just starting. Interesting. You don't, you're not expected to know everything. You're not expected to be everything. You're not expected to know everything and be a genius and expert on every topic possible. So give yourself time, be patient, and learn all you can, do the most you can with what you have, and try to get as many experiences as you can to learn and grow and expand yourself. Right. I feel like in my early 20s, so many people told me that, be patient. I feel like I used to hear that a lot, and I'd always just be like, oh, 
I never no. listened. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, I want this now. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think I actually have a, 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 took a picture of a billboard in Europe and I put it as my Facebook cover and it says, impatience is a virtue. <laughs> and I live by that <laughs> in my early 20s. So, <laughs> very funny. yeah. Okay. Well, let's go back. Um, uh, teenagers, what would you, what's your advice to teenagers? Don't be so hard on yourself. You mm. are just starting in this idea of life literally mm. of who you are and what you're made of don't don't beat yourself up so much right it's a journey it takes mm. time it's a, it's not a it's a it's not just one race it's a huge marathon of miles and miles and miles that you need to accomplish so take each day at a time don't take everything so seriously it's not the end of the world if someone breaks up with you <laughs> so hard to that see that as ends. a teenager i know <laughs> but you're gonna get through it and the goal is to get through each day as best as you can. Being a teenager is so hard. Bullying sucks. High school is difficult, but somehow we all get through it and we deal with it. And so will you, it's just about taking each day as it comes mm -hmm. the best you can. Okay. And of course we have one more, eight to 13 year olds. Eat all the sweets you can now because you're not going to be able to later. No, uh, <laughs> have fun, have fun, have fun. Yeah, you're, have eight. fun. you're eight to 13. Have a good time. Yeah, awesome. But listen awesome. to your parents. <laughs> listen to your parents. <laughs> okay, Ellie. Well, I think you're going to be a wonderful father. I mean, are a wonderful father. You well, she's only 15 months old and we'll see what happens. Same, she's getting yeah. a little sassy lately. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> but if you follow, if you remember everything that you just said during this podcast, you know, <laughs> I'll try my best. I'll try my best. You know, isn't there another classic myth? If I'm a therapist, my kids are all right. messed up already. You that know? is true. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> all these taboos. Wow. <laughs> no, but I mean, honestly, these, this is some of the wisest, wisest um, words um, that I've heard. Most wise, wisest <laughs> words that I've heard in, in a long time. I make up words yeah. too. Don't worry. No, but it's great. I mean, um, yeah, I'm going to go away from this podcast thinking about being 73 and taking on some of the things that you said. And I was just like, while you were talking, I was like, wow, okay. Like, keep that in mind, you know, <laughs> like. I don't know, for me, real. I take a lot of pictures, a lot of memories, a lot of experiences. Cause I think experiences truly last right. versus buying fancy sunglasses or I just saw sunglasses mm. on in front of me <laughs> or fancy, you know, suit or, uh, right. you know, some crazy technology, but really invest on a trip with friends or with family or with your loved ones yeah. and take pictures and have a good time and things that that lasts more up here than, than just owning something that's that you wear. Yeah, 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 yeah. It feeds, it definitely feeds your uh, mental health and your emotional health. hundred percent. Yeah. Awesome. Well, with that, um, is there anything else that you'd like to plug in or add before we wrap this up? For sure. Um, I have a new podcast called The Dude Therapist that I la launched about four or five months ago. I'm on uh, the sixth episode, seventh episode. I forgot, lost count. And <laughs> anyone can reach me at elevation.org or my, uh, my Instagram, elevation underscore therapist, anytime, anywhere. Um, just reach out whenever you need. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ellie. I'll have to check out your podcast too. And thank you so much for being a part of ours. And thank you for a having a wonderful me. day. Yeah. Get some sleep. You're very busy. It sounds like <laughs> take care of your kid, doing therapy, all these different like age groups. So get some sleep. That's my advice to you and have a wonderful day. And thank you everyone so much for tuning in. Bye. Thank you for having me.